may be seated. Well, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Genesis chapter number 39. We're continuing in our walking series. We have studied so far Noah, Abraham, and Jacob. We've now discovered two lessons on Joseph before we got to Father's Day and then in between that and then 4th of July. We come back now to Joseph and his walk with God. And in particular, we're going to look at Joseph and God's will. Let's read the first 20 verses. It's a lengthy read for us this morning. i get my glasses out here. It's a lengthy read for us. And uh, I want us to read it within context so that as we preach through and teach through it, each part of it makes particular sense to us. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 39 and in verse 1, Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his, that is, Joseph's hand. And it came to pass, from, that, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Notice that statement, by the way. You should underline that. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Friend, as a Christian this morning, if you get nothing else, there's a lot of preaching that's to come, but if you get nothing else out of the message, understand you as a believer, wherever God has placed you, are there to be a blessing. And to bring God's blessing into that place. The Bible goes on. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he, that is Potiphar, left all that he had in, the hand, in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there with him. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them saying, see, he hath brought in in Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her, and to his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which, he spake, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. 
And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Father, help us, I pray this morning, as we look into the Word of God. May we understand, Lord, what we find in these verses is a sad story for the woman, but in truth a successful story for Joseph. It is yet another time in his life where he trusted in you, no matter what the consequences might be. Put in a very precarious position, a compromised situation, and yet he trusted that your way is best. Rather than trusting in his own might, in his own way, in his own thoughts, he trusted you, and you blessed him for it. Give us your grace this morning as we seek to understand the truth, not just in the story, but the lesson in the life of Joseph, a man who truly did walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've studied Joseph and God's word and Joseph and God's will When we considered Joseph and God's word in Genesis 37, we came to understand Joseph, or that Joseph, I should say, came to understand God in the form of a dream. That's how God revealed himself in Joseph's time to men that he wanted to speak to. Today we have the Bible. We can trust in God's revealed word to us. We learned in that message on Joseph that God's word called him to be holy and caused him to be hated. The Bible will still do the same thing in your life. If you follow and adhere to the Word of God, it will call you to be separated and different from the world, but it will also cause the world, perhaps even friends and family who don't understand the Word of God, to not fully agree with you. Some may even go so far as to hate you. In the second message, we looked at God's will and Joseph. It was at the end of chapter 37, in the beginning of chapter number 39, that we, dec- we noted three aspects of the will of God in our life. The decretive, the declarative, and the dispositional will of God. There are, is one thing that God has decreed that will be so, and that is that everything He's created will glorify Him. That is His decree. His declared will is that those who follow Him would both trust and obey Him. That's how we accomplish His will. And finally, we found His dispositional will, or what God Himself was disposed to or predisposed to, what He wants, what He desires, and that is that all of His creation bring Him pleasure. We noted in the life of Joseph in particular that doing the will of God sometimes, number one, brings trouble. (laughs) You're going to have trouble. Secondly, we saw in the will of God in that message that You're going to have to trust Him if you're going to do His will. And finally, we noted the triumph. Well, the triumph led us into chapter 39. And chapter 39 opens wonderfully. And then it gets muddy. It gets difficult. Well, how is the will of God so perfect? And the answer is because the will of God is always done in the way of God or in His timing, in His process, in His working. So we come to the story now in Potiphar's house in the life of Joseph. From provision of his father to the pit, the betrayal by his brothers, sold into slavery and brought to Potiphar's house, Joseph had lived by God's word in God's will. Now he will demonstrate for us what it means to live God's way. What is God's way? I put three introductory thoughts in your notes. Things that all of us, even if we don't know the Bible, but know a little bit about church, would come and say, you know, I think I've heard this before about God in His way. Well, the first thing that I put is that His way is not our way. You would be right in concluding that. 
Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The second thing I put in your notes there is that we are often told that God's way is perfect. Do you believe that this morning? I mean, the way that God works some stuff out in our life, we might wonder if it's perfect, but the Bible declares that His way is perfect in Psalm 18. And in verse 30, as for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He, God, is a buckler. That means a shield that is out in front of us. He is literally out in front of every day defending you in the way that you should go. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. The third thing that I put in your notes here is that we are told as Christians or followers of Christ that the early Christians were called people of the way. You can find this over and over again in the book of Acts, at least four times, five times. It is mentioned that they are people of the way. Here's how it is written in Acts 9 in verses 1 and 2. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue. Notice the next phrase, that if he found any of this way, all right, so there is a way that is godly, there is a way that is ungodly, and these little Christ, these Christians who were followers of the Lord Jesus, they were living in such a way as people could note the difference. Whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. Why is it that they were called people of the way or those in the way? The answer is because they faithfully followed their Savior, just as we faithfully follow our Savior, Jesus Christ, who in John 14 and verse 6 declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Simply put then, God's way lived out in our lives revolves around three key elements that we must consider this morning in the life of Joseph. We find them here in Genesis chapter number 39, and they begins the way of God In this, God's way is only in holiness, number one. The way of God is only in holiness. You say, well, why do you say that, Kyle? Well, what does it mean it's only in holiness? It's only after His nature. It's only after His person. God is holy, thus we should be holy. Thus, any time we follow His way, His leading, His direction in our life from this book, it is then and only then that we can truly be holy. This was true in the life of Joseph. He was not in control of his life. Rather, God was in control of his life. And when God is in control of your life, you're living in God's way, in the way that He would have you go. Holiness means to be different to be different from the world, to be separated out from it. Let me give you a couple of ideas in introducing this first thought. Man is deceitful, God is not. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. While the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked, Jeremiah said, who can know it? The answer is, you can't. But God himself in his own way is nothing like us. He's not deceitful, he's true. We're told as well that man is covetous. We discover that not only in the Word of God, we discover it in the morning, in the mirror, in the times in which we reflect on our bank account and consider others in our sphere of life or in our influence. Well, I wish I had what they had. Well, they don't have the problems I have. We begin to covet another person's 
life in every possible way. God does not covet. His way is not a way of covetousness. Man is sinful, consumed by his own lust. God is not. In every way of thinking and living, God's way is set apart from man's way. He is holy and we are not. And so if we are going to live in the way that God would have us live, we must live within his favor, within his person, within his presence, within his power working through our lives. That is exactly what we read in the introduction to Joseph's scenario in Potiphar. We know it's true throughout the whole of his life, but particularly here in Genesis chapter number 39. It is so of him. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says this, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. It is the foolish pursuit of our own way that brought sin into the race of man. When Adam sinned in the garden, Joseph lives differently in his life. He lives differently in every circumstance, in every situation. He chooses to live the way that God would have us live. He lives by the way that God established. Let me make a statement to our young people here. Teenagers, peer pressure can cause you to do all sorts of things. But no matter the peer pressure, God demands. He expects that you will live holy. To moms and dads and to grandparents and to the older generations that are here seated, it doesn't matter what your circumstances in life may be. You can live holy in your workplace. You can be holy in your home life. You can be holy in every social setting that you find yourself. We rarely get to live in the world that we would describe as perfect in every scenario. Has anybody had a perfect week? I have to take my hand down. I'm just using it for an example here. And the answer is no. There was somewhere, some way this week that we said, I wouldn't have had it happen that way. But there it was. That's how it unfolded. Instead, we live in a world cursed by sin and plagued by the diverse lusts of men. But we as believers are still tasked by God to live holy within this world. That is even less than ideal. Joseph never would have asked for the circumstances that God brought into his life. Yet he chose every day to live different, holy from the way everyone else lived. Joseph understood Paul and Paul clearly understood Joseph. When Paul wrote this in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. I often have read these verses and we read them all the time within church. I often when I read them or I hear them read in church I think of one man Joseph. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. You present your lived life. A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God. May I suggest to you, if you live by your own way in an unholy fashion, you are not acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable service. It just makes sense. Because he loves you. And for us, we know that Jesus died for our sins. And so it makes sense to live for him in such a way. He goes on in verse 2 and says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove something. 
Well, what am I here to prove? What was Joseph there to prove? That living holy is the best way to live. That she may prove what is that good, beneficial, and acceptable right in God's eyes. And perfect, absolutely satisfying will of God. How then can we be holy? Well, we find it in Joseph's life. It's easy. God's way is only in holiness. And it begins, letter A, through enabling grace. It is through and by God's enablement. Can I give you a little hint this morning? You cannot turn over enough leaves <laughs> to be holy. Your tree isn't big enough for that. You don't have enough leaves to turn over. The only way in which you can be holy is to accept and receive the presence, the favor, the grace of God for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All Joseph could do was trust the word of God and that the word of God would accomplish the will of God. And so everything that happened was in the way of God. It was at God's hand. That's what Joseph believed. And the enabling of that grace, the presence of God in his life in that way, made it so that he could accomplish what he accomplished. Look at verse number 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. In other words, Joseph knew the grace of God. He could recognize God's favor resting upon him. But not only did Joseph know it, so did Potiphar. He could recognize the grace of God. In Let me ask you a question. If I went into your workplace this week on a Tuesday afternoon at 1.15, just after lunch, and I met with random coworker that might sit or stand next to you at the workplace or on the line or might serve in a capacity equal to yours, and I said, hey, can you recognize the favor of God upon this believer? What would they say? You see, the enabling grace of God makes sure that we are living in a holy way, and that's the only way God wants us to live. Different. Set apart. Can I say this? There's nothing special about you. Man, that's rough. I'm coming back to this church next week. Sign me up for more of that. There's nothing special about me. The only thing significant about any of us is if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, that the grace of God that hath appeared to all men is actually in us. What Paul wrote to Titus. He said there that the grace of God that appeared to all men And it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, is what he says in Titus chapter 2. God's favor produces God's holiness in us. Thus, believer, today, the more we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the more grace-filled we will be. The filling of the Spirit is the fullness of God's grace effective in our life. The fullness of His favor resting upon our life. Joseph was enabled not through his own personal attributes of being well-favored, or excuse me, I should say a goodly person and well-favored as it says at the end of verse number 6, but it was through the sufficient grace of God. When we read that passage that Paul writes to the Corinthians about God's grace being sufficient, we always read it within the context of him asking for things in a state of suffering. But may I suggest that is a universal verse. The grace that is sufficient in suffering is also the grace that is sufficient in success. It is all sufficient, enabling grace that allows us to live the way God would want us to live, in a holy fashion. 
But letter B, it's by expressing faith. Listen, I live through the enabling grace, but I also live wholly the way that God wants me to live by expressing or exercising, demonstrating, living openly my faith. Joseph exercised faith by being the best follower of God that he could be in whatever place he found himself. Genuine faith does not come and go. I noted in the early service and during the time between the services, I thought a little bit more about it. There are two groups, and I said in the early, maybe a third group. There are those who live by faith, and there are those who live by fear. But I think sometimes within the Christian world, there's a group that lives within frustration. Right? They're the ones that live between halting between the two opinions. If God is the Lord, choose him, and if he's not, choose Baal, as Elijah said on Mount Carmel. They live either in faith or in fear, and most Christians live right there in the frustration. Like Moses said, you have before you, set before you today, life and death. Choose life. And yet so many of us will not live by faith. So let's ask the question then. How do you live in the difficulties of life? That's what Joseph teaches us, how to live through difficulties. What I'm asking here is, what is your response when the difficulty comes? When the depression sets in? When the Bible word despondency or despair comes upon you, what is your natural reaction? To run in fear? To yell out in frustration? Or to actually express the faith that we must have in Almighty God? God's way of living is for us to be like Him. I don't doubt that Joseph, in his struggles personally, was a lot like Job. Job would say these kinds of things in his writings. I'm going to summarize or paraphrase, but essentially Job said, God, I know you know what you're up to, but I hope you reveal some of that to me. That's okay living within God's way. Just be careful demanding things of God. God's way is the way of holiness, and it is through the enabling grace that He gives to us, but it is by expressing our faith that we have in Him that He is a good God, that He is a benevolent God, that He is a God that work, wants to work in our lives. Faith is not living in fear, and it is not living in failure, but rather it is living in the person, power, and presence of Almighty God, in His very nature, holiness. Obedient faith to do what is right in each moment is the fruit or the evidence of a life that has changed. Joseph was trusting that God's word and God's will were best for him. Thus, whatever way he led him into, in whichever path of life that he directed him, he knew in that place he could trust God. That is expressing faith in a right way. He believed that God was working good in all of the sorrows and all of the setbacks. When you trust God's word by faith, then you can live wholly before the eyes of men. That is God's way. But secondly, we find in our notes, God's way requires honesty. A lot of times we will really preach or we might even amen really loud when the pastor says, you must live holy. Now, when we go out the doors in honesty, we don't do it. This is where I go to meddling a little bit this morning, as any good preacher ought to do. I'm here to stir the pot. That's my job. Joseph, in this passage, was honest with himself. He recognized where the favor came from. It was from God. It wasn't him. 
He was honest with others. He was honest to Potiphar. Literally, it says in the verses, in verse number six, that Potiphar was like the king that Nehemiah served. Everything that he had, he didn't even know what was for dinner. He walked in and Joe said, hey, here's what's for dinner, pot. And he said, that sounds good. Let's eat. That's how Potiphar treated Joseph. Like Nehemiah as the cupbearer. He trusted him implicitly. He was also honest before God. There is no better way to describe him as a man of personal integrity and outward honesty. Read with me again in beginning in verse 4. And Joseph found grace in his, that's Potiphar, and he, sight, and he served him. And he made him, that is Potiphar, made Joseph overseer over Potiphar's house. And all that Potiphar had, he put into his, Joseph's hand. And it came to pass from that time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. Trade your integrity. Give away your honesty. Give up the character quality that is most important to being holy and that is doing what you say. Notice verse 8, but he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, what is that? My master doesn't even know what is with me in the house and hath committed all that he hath to my hand. Notice verse 9. There's a bit of a sting in verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I. Who else lived in that house? Mrs. Potiphar. Joseph's not rubbing her nose in it. He's just declaring the fact that when I live in God's way, I have received God's blessing and elevation, and I'm going to stick to that kind of honest integrity. Neither hath he kept anything back from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against you, Mrs. Potiphar? Is that what it says? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against my master, Potiphar? Is that what it says? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against my own flesh? Is that what it says? When we sin, friends, we need to be honest. Who is it against? God. Boy, I make you think twice every time you decide to act in that sinful way. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Mrs. Potiphar was an evil woman, to be sure. She was bent on ruining a young man's testimony because she was consumed in her own lusts. Joseph was successful. He was diligent in his service. He was a handsome, young, strapping man, and he likely presented an opportunity for satisfaction to this old harlot. It seems like the rest of the men in the house knew the kind of behavior she had. It seems that Potiphar did as well. It said his wrath was kindled, but it never says who his wrath was kindled against. It just said his wrath was kindled. It might have been that Mr. Potiphar was saying, here we go again. Can't believe I married this Jezebel. Jezebel hadn't lived yet. But. It's an interesting statement in the story. What did Joseph leave behind? His coat. 
Now, I don't know about you, but Joseph and his coat seem to be a good message series that I've never preached. His coat of many colors that showed the favoritism, not just of his father, but of the birthright and the blessing, and that which God would do through him as another patriarch, that coat brought the hatred of his brothers. This coat brought a false accusation. By the way, when you put on the robes of righteousness in Jesus Christ, that cloak about you will also bring the hatred of those around you, and it will also bring false accusations against you. There's a great lesson hidden in many of these Bible stories that often we don't mine out because we're just too busy to preach. You go home and mine that well. You go down that, that vein and see what is down there that is golden. And the fact that putting on the robes of righteousness in Christ will bring all kinds of opposition to us. It seems twice now in poor Joe's life he had robes taken from him, coats taken from him. By the way, we'll wait and when we get to Pharaoh in the exaltation, he puts a coat on him. Boy, there's a lot of truth in the coats of Joseph. That's not the preaching this morning. For Joseph, his honesty spoke of his personal integrity. You cannot be dishonest and say that you have integrity. Your actions speak louder than your words. God's way requires honest, honesty. So we find the first honest truth in his story is this, and letter A is an important one. Purity is a choice. Oh, I wish I could spend an entire day or a month of Sundays preaching on this. Friends, we live in an impure age. We live in a day of lust-filled living. It's the book of Judges. Every man, every woman, seemingly every boy and girl does right, that which is right in their own sight. And so we find that a man of honest integrity is going to have to start first with being pure. Purity is a choice. It just doesn't happen. You know, my parents put safeguards on me. So what can I say? I just haven't looked at all those terrible things. Is that ever true, teenage boys? No, you have to make the choice not to look at the garbage. Garbage is everywhere. Jessica knows that even during a football game, they come down to the dancing, prancing cheerleaders, and I will turn the channel. I'll watch a commercial on Medicaid <laughs> before I will watch a dancing, prancing cheerleader. Why? Because I got three boys in my house. And if it's cool for dad to watch it, then it's fine for them to watch it. And the next generation will be worse than the one before. Purity is a choice. Make no mistake, Joseph had every reason just to give in to sin. I mean, he was a slave. Nobody in his family had remembered him. He was forsaken by his brothers, probably forgotten by his family. All but Jacob probably had forgotten him. Joseph had every reason to give in. Mrs. Potiphar was offering him an enticement, an enjoyment, a satisfaction that only this temporal life will give to us. He was a slave after all. Who would care? And many times we justify our own sinful choices in the same way. <laughs> Who's going to care? Who's going to know? Joseph was of no worth to anyone in the world, and he could have easily presumed that God wasn't real, or that, or that at the very least God didn't even care about him in his present state. There would be no one that would care if he engaged in this wicked sin. 
And yet we find the honest integrity of his heart because he wanted to follow the way of God, not his own way. That takes effort. It takes choice. In the men's prayer breakfast, I shared with them Proverbs 18 and verse 1 yesterday. And I think this is the way in which men especially, but I think women as well, should be living. The Bible says this in Proverbs 18 and verse 1. Through desire, the word desire means focused longing. Through desire or through the focused longing a man having separated, that means extracting himself from the way of this world, seeketh and intermeddleth. That word intermeddleth means to mingle or put into practice with all wisdom. In other words, you need to have a strong longing desire to seek after and practice all the wisdom that is found in this book. It's the only way you're going to be able to live pure. A desire to please God that is stronger than a desire to please yourself. Joseph longed to please God. He desired to be pure before God. The choice of purity will always be tested. So how should we then interact with sin when it is presented to us? We should have an earnest desire to run the other way from it. Paul says this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 21. Flee youthful lusts. Oh, that we would flee. But it's not just running away from it. We have to run to something. But follow, run to righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Where do we run? Where did Joseph run? Proverbs 18 and verse 10 tells us where Joseph ran, where we should run. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is saved. Paul told the Ephesians that the honest purity, that honest purity, purity, excuse me, begins by learning of Christ. He told the Ephesians in Ephesians 4 and verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the empty vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, that is their condition, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Do you know that phrase right there at the end of verse 19 explains or describes Mrs. Potiphar, she had given herself over to lasciviousness. That means license without permission. I'm going to take it. I don't care what anybody says. This is what I want. And God said, no, that's not the way to live. So she wanted to work all uncleanness with her own covetous greediness. I want that. God says, no. The answer to this, Paul says to the Ephesians is, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That is, in the internal intellect of our mind, our inner man. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is what? Created in righteousness and true holiness. There's purity. So many Christians today would have different views of God's way if they just put off their old sinfulness altogether. The problem is we hold on to it. We keep pieces and parts of it that we really like because they remind me of the good old days. What was so good about them? Well, I mean, they brought a smile to my heart. May I suggest to you there's no deeper joy and satisfaction than walking with the Lord Jesus Christ in His way. (laughs) 
I'm just going to try to get out of the service now, Kyle. Joseph would not even entertain the evil that was being presented to him. He fled in the purity of his motives, in the honesty of his inward character, in his faith towards God. He fled to the rock of his salvation, his high tower, just as we can. God is the only honest refuge for those who want to live pure in the midst of an evil world. Honesty is not just living pure. That's the start. But it's also living by principles. But friend... Principles have a cost. Joseph's purity and the choice to live that way cost him. I mean, you would think Mr. Potiphar would come home and go, thank you for telling me about my wife and her ill-begotten behavior. Man, I didn't know. No, he comes home and says, you are going to jail. What? I mean, I live by a right principle. I did everything right, man. It was your hedonistic wife, your godless wife, your your woman that was coming upon me. I didn't do anything. He says, that's not the way I heard it. Here's your coat. Principles, my friend, will cost you something. When you live by principles, ultimately you are rewarded by God. But in this life and in this moment, in this sin-fallen world... Principles and living by them may exact a heavy cost. I'm convinced in our country we are headed that way. Where those of us who actually maintain doing what is right will have to pay a high cost for it. Joseph, unwilling to compromise with Mrs. Potiphar, and seemingly, from what we read in the story, unwilling or unable to convince Mr. Potiphar that it was she who pursued him, heads off to Pharaoh's, or the king's, prison. The Bible reminds us that they that will live godly shall suffer persecution. So I ask this morning, do you have the stomach to live by godly principles? Do you have the stamina? Do you have the strength? If you're going to live principled Christianity, then you're not going to deviate. You're not going to capitulate. You're not going to equivocate when friends, when family, or when foes come seeking you to turn from what you know is right. I put a note in here. Make sure you're willing to suffer for the right principles. Too many of us really conservative Christians, we are willing to die on molehills. May I suggest to you, die on mountains. That is where actual principles are. The doctrinal things, the truths of the Bible, not your preferences. Well, I am going to separate from them because they do not share my preferences. Well, not many people do. It's on principles. You know what we find in the life of Joseph? He did not storm around Potiphar's house and say, you know, slavery's bad. This is terrible. I can't believe this happened to me. We don't find that in the life of Joseph. You know when it came, when the rubber met the road, is when he had to violate a personal principle, which was, will you sleep with me? No, you're married to my master. Absolutely not. How could I do such a wicked thing? That's a principle. And if you don't know what the principles of the Word of God are, then dig into the book today. This goes in the series, God's Word, God's Will, God's Way. You're going to have a hard time living God's way if you have no idea what God's Word says. The Bible tells us this in chapter 39 and verses 8 and 9. He refused. And the refusal was not because she was unattractive or that the temptation wasn't real. 
but because he recognized in the principle of his heart and the purity of his choice that the honest way to live godly or God's way was that this would be a great wickedness and a sin against God. Joseph would not compromise his principles, and it cost him. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 3 and verse 13. Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? This is a rhetorical question in verse 13. Peter's asking just kind of rhetorically, who is it that's going to harm you? And most of us would not have a go, well, this person and this person, and I can think of three other people and, and these people. And the answer is he's asking it in the eternal sense because he goes on to say, but and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify. That means set, set apart, make holy the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak, speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing. Peter is thinking of Joseph. Joseph is living out this principle than for evildoing. The problem for most Christians is that they are actually okay with suffering punishment from God because they've caved and done what is wrong than actually suffering persecution from their fellow man by living by in principle and doing what is right. Well, if I just cave, you know, God's punishment might be just a slap on the wrist. I mean, he's the big guy that lives in the sky. I don't know him anyway. It's how most Christians live. If I'm just being honest, and this is the point on honesty, so I must say it. And if we started living by principle saying, absolutely not, I'm not going to do this great wickedness against God. I don't care what men will do to me. It might send me to prison. So be it. Are you willing to die for your principles? If it's the word of God, yes, absolutely you should. God's way. It is only in holiness... It requires honesty. And third and finally this morning, it creates, creates happiness. Drew and I were on the way to church this morning. I'm often not sure why things happen in life. <laughs> He's back here smiling. Uh, we nearly hit a donkey on the way to church this morning. I mean, we were doing the speed limit on the little road that we take back behind in the farms. And I mean, if it was one of the thoroughbreds and one of the stallions that had gotten out and was running around, I would have been okay. I would have been like, oh, it's majestic. But we nearly hit a mule, a donkey this morning, right? There was a little miniature horse that was running down the road. And Drew, as soon as we came over the hill, he goes, is that a dog? And so I slow down and stop and the little miniature runs past us. And then a woman dragging a donkey comes past us. And I'm going to tell you, she was the most unhappy looking person I've ever seen. There was a man dressed in black. I thought it was Johnny Cash for a second, but it ended up not being him because he certainly was walking the line. But anyway, he was walking behind her. And there was a young lady in a white pick-em-up truck and there was a dog. And I'm telling you, if it was the classic example of an early Sunday morning in Kentucky, that's it. And so I rolled down my window. I said, been a tough morning? Because, I mean, they clearly had gotten out of the pen, right? Been a tough morning? She said, it has. You need to slow down on this road. Okay. I said, well, ma'am, I was, I was doing 35, you know, speed limit. And she said, those of us that own the road don't want you driving on it. Well, and I said, ma'am, it's a county road. Sorry. 
Off she goes. I felt bad for her. I even told Drew that. I said, I really feel bad for that poor woman. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like at 6.30, 6.45 when she realized the miniature and the donkey had gotten out of the pen. And they were over in the neighbor's yard, and she had to go get them. The man in the black, as he was walking by, he goes, hey, man, I, I live across the street on the farm across the street. He goes, you know, I, it's okay. She, she doesn't mean anything by it. And I'm like, no, you're clearly not even related to her. You don't have to apologize for her. And then the third little girl was the picture of what Christians should be. She's like, have a good day. <laughs> I thought, well, that teenage girl is happy as all get out, man. I tell you what, that's the one you want to hang out with in that group. Friends, may I say to you, living in God's way will create happiness within you. Now, I don't mean to tell you that you'll always just be happy with a smile plastered on your face. But it will bring a contentment, a satisfaction, a deep-seated understanding of purpose that has with it joy and peace. We read in the story in verses 19 and 20 that Potiphar took Joseph and placed him in Pharaoh's prison. Another step lower on the rung of life. And by the way, usually God's way begins by leading us down into humility before there is an exaltation to honor. That's where most Christians go wrong. They think you get saved and everything's just going to be hunky-dory. Everything, I mean, God's going to just pour out his blessing on me. I am going to get Joel's book and I'm going to read the best life now. That's not what I'm suggesting here. I'm saying if you live wholly in God's way, from our first point, with the required honesty and integrity of every choice that you make in accordance to the fact that it is a sin against the almighty, holy God, then, friend, you will develop deep within your soul a contented happiness in all that God will do in you, through you, for you, and by you. It is in the prison that God's grace and God's mercy, we read, are upon him again in verse 21. So much so as we'll come to next week when we discover God's work, that the warden noticed the difference about Joseph, just like Potiphar did. May I suggest to you, Christians who suffer like Christ will make a positive, godly impact on those around them. Christians who suffer in this life like everyone else in the world will sadly also make an impact. And that is, your God must not be very good at all. But the joy of Jesus is the difference. God's way for us to live is in a contented, satisfied activity. Whether our life is blessed or filled with burdens at the moment, there is a happiness that can be found in the holy, honest living that is God's way. It is letter A through every problem. If this happened to Joseph and it happened to Jesus... Can I tell you something? It's going to happen to you. There's going to be difficulties. Proverbs 18 and verse 14 is always a good reminder. The spirit of man will sustain his infirmity. The spirit here speaks of how we think in our mind. But a wounded spirit, everything bad happens to me. Who can bear it? 
You can still be satisfied in your God even when times aren't necessarily good. Joy, happiness, and satisfaction are found during the problems of life as we rehearse in the spirit of our mind the very nature of who God is. He is good. He is gracious. He is gentle and kind. Joseph knew the word that God had given to him, and so he trusted in it. We started in the beginning with Psalm 18 and verse 30, and it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust in Him. But notice how it goes on in the next verse. For who is God? Save the Lord, or accept the Lord. Or who is the rock? Save our God. It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. Verse 35, he later says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Oh, Joseph, even though he wasn't the psalmist writing this, knew how to sing this song. It's for any problem, and let her be, it's for any place. The happiness of God can be anywhere. Verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Potiphar lost out. I often wonder what happened to Potiphar's house. How many of Potiphar's sons and children served in the military some 400 years later when the children of Israel went out, that whole house likely was overthrown in that Red Sea. So far in the life of Joseph in our study, there hasn't been a place where God's word and God's will, and yes, even as we've heard today, God's way could not lead to success in his life. The prison would be no different as we'll see next week. Joseph knew that his imprisonment was not due to any evil that he had done, but rather because of his righteousness. And he knew what the psalmist would later write in Psalm 34 and verse number 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. In closing, then, God's way always flows from knowing his word and doing his will. Joseph has now taught us these three. The question for us gathered this morning is, am I walking in God's way or am I walking in my own? My mom and her family have always had this as their life verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will what? Is that true of Joseph? Sure was. Is it true for you in God's way? Sure can be. This morning, perhaps you need to meet Jesus. You need to meet the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to heaven. And for us who have received him, he's the only way to living holy, honest, and happy. If you've met him, then like Joseph, in honesty, make pure choices based upon biblical principles. Live joyfully happy through any problem in any place because you are the light of the world. Little lights shining the light of Jesus wherever you go. It is then that we understand God's way is much better in its holiness, in its honesty, in its happiness than the helpless hopelessness found in man's way everywhere around us in the world. Father, help us as we close. We thank you for the word of God and its truth. I thank you for the life of Joseph. When you write, 
what Paul wrote in Romans 15 and verse 4, that the things of the Old Testament were written aforetime for our learning. Joseph had to live this life, but we must learn from his life. Your word calls us to be holy and causes us to be hated. In your will there is trouble, but there can be trust so that there will be triumph. And we find today in the way that you lead us. The only way that we can live in perfect harmony with your perfect way is to be holy and honest. And as we are, there is a contented happiness, a satisfaction and peace that is accompanied by the joy of who you are that follows us every step of the way. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, the piano will play softly. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I remind you what the writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said. The end of your ways is death. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, may you accept Him as the way, the truth, and the life. That prayer is simple. God, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that Jesus Christ, whom we did not preach on this morning, but Joseph is a type of, Jesus Christ came to die for my sins. I accept his payment for my sins. Please forgive me. Come into my heart and live today. A prayer similar to that, as simple as that, but it must be as sincere as that. to the rest of us who have prayed that prayer at a point at a time in our life. My question to you this morning is, are you living in God's way? Oh, it is so easy for us to walk in our own ways, to devise our own plans, to conjure our own thoughts. And the best and most fulfilled way to live is to live by His enabling grace as we express our faith. That's holiness. You will be holy if you live that way. Well, would you please, Pastor, tell me which sin I need to confess? Trust me, if you are living in His enabling grace, expressing true faith in Him, you will confess all your sins. What a God we serve. Make that your prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for the morning you've given. The pianist has played, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Mold me 
and make me. Well, I pray that would be true in each of our church members' lives. God, the world desperately needs Christians who are living God's way. We need to decouple Christianity from Americanism. I'm glad to be an American. I very much am so. But we have Americanized the gospel in Christianity. Joseph teaches us principles that are far beyond the present thinking of this land. That are actually quite in discord with many of the prevailing thoughts of our nation today. Good. I believe it's high time that Christians got real honest with themselves. Do I even want to live this life? I pray that your Holy Spirit would break the spirit of these, your people, and the pastor included, that we would be free from the God's okay with me mentality and realize that holiness, true holiness, is a choice that brings with it a cost. Joseph is that example. Lord, I would pray, make us holy, but that would be only partially true. You want us to be holy. You have provided a book that has all that pertains to life and godliness. We just need to express the faith to live honestly by it. Help us, dear Lord. Help us to go out into the world in which we live. Take the great, good, glorious news of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. In whose name we pray. Amen.